Hey there, Lucius. Hope you're gearing up for a good start to your week. And talking about Telegraph Hill, it looks like you've got a bit of everything weather-wise today, Lucius. Highs hovering around 54 degrees with scattered clouds in the morning and light rain expected by evening. As the weather keeps things interesting, let's dive into today's top stories to keep you in the loop. First up, President Joe Biden is racing against time as he meets with congressional leaders to hash out government funding ahead of a looming partial shutdown deadline this Friday. I'm Steve Onsker. And I'm Jonathan Martin. You're listening to Next in Line from Pocket Pod News. Over in Michigan, the Arab American community is making waves with the Listen to Michigan movement amidst the Israel-Hamas conflict. They're pressing for change in U.S. policy by pledging to vote uncommitted in upcoming primaries, a move that could shake Biden's re-election strategy. Meanwhile, at the World Trade Organization, there's a heated debate on whether to lift or extend the moratorium on international taxes for digital media crossing borders online. It's a decision that could reshape global trade dynamics and impact consumers and businesses worldwide. A day full of critical discussions and decisions that could shape our world in significant ways. Stay with us as we delve deeper into these stories. This message is brought to you by PocketPod. Say goodbye to one-size-fits-all podcasts and hello to a fully personalized listening experience with AI-crafted podcast made just for you. Head over to PocketPod.app to join the waitlist. As the clock ticks down, President Joe Biden is gearing up for a crucial meeting. Right. He's sitting down with congressional leaders from both sides of the aisle this Tuesday. They're racing against time to fund the government and steer clear of a partial shutdown. But there's more on their plate than just keeping the lights on. A national security bill involving aid to Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan has hit a roadblock. And with deadlines for funding several federal agencies just around the corner, the stakes couldn't be higher. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and House Speaker Mike Johnson have been vocal about finding common ground amid these tense negotiations. To unpack all of this for us, PocketPod News national political correspondent Don Gallup joins us today. Don, it seems like there's a lot riding on this meeting. What can we expect? Absolutely, Jonathan. President Joe Biden's upcoming meeting with congressional leaders is critical, especially with the government funding deadline just days away. This gathering is scheduled for Tuesday, and it brings together top Democrats and Republicans from both the House and Senate. The goal is clear, to hash out a bipartisan agreement to fund the government before the Friday midnight deadline, thereby averting a partial shutdown. That sounds like a tight timeline. Can you delve a bit deeper into what's at stake here? particularly regarding the national security bill? Sure. A major point of discussion in this meeting will be a significant national security bill that's currently stalled. This bill includes vital assistance for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan, countries that are strategically important to U.S. interests abroad. The impasse over this legislation not only reflects domestic legislative challenges, but also underscores the broader geopolitical considerations at play here. It's about ensuring continued support for these allies amid growing global tensions. And what happens if they don't reach an agreement in time? What's the impact of a potential government shutdown? A partial government shutdown would have immediate and tangible effects on various federal agencies. For example, funding deadlines are looming on March 1st for some departments like transportation, while others such as defense have until March 8th. If no agreement is reached by then, we could see disruptions in services and potentially furloughs for hundreds of thousands of federal employees. It's a scenario that underscores how political deadlock can directly impact national governance and public services. 
With such high stakes, there must be significant pressure on both sides to reach an agreement. What are the congressional leaders saying? Yes, there's considerable back and forth between key congressional figures. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has publicly urged House Speaker Mike Johnson to work towards a bipartisan compromise despite objections from conservative lawmakers within his party who are pushing for steep spending cuts. On his part, Speaker Johnson has stated that Republicans are negotiating in good faith to find common ground that aligns with their fiscal priorities. This meeting sounds like it could be pivotal in many ways then. Exactly, Jonathan. It represents an urgent effort by President Biden and congressional leaders to navigate through the current political stalemate toward preventing a partial government shutdown. With critical funding deadlines fast approaching installed legislation affecting key international allies on the line, this situation encapsulates significant challenges in achieving bipartisan cooperation within U.S. governance today. Don Gallup from PocketPod News, national political correspondent. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. In Michigan, a significant political movement is brewing within one of the largest Arab American communities in the U.S. That's right. Dearborn has become a focal point of political engagement due to the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas. And it seems President Biden's handling of the situation has not gone unnoticed. The Listen to Michigan movement, led by Democratic strategist Abbas Alawiyah, is urging voters to select uncommitted in the upcoming primary as a form of protest. It's an unprecedented move that could have far-reaching implications for Biden's re-election bid. To get a deeper understanding of this movement and its impact, we'll be talking with PocketPod News national political correspondent Ron Stevens. Ron, what can you tell us about the sentiment in Dearborn and how this might affect the political landscape? Well, Steve, the sentiment in Dearborn, Michigan, is one of deep frustration and political awakening, particularly among the Arab-American community. This shift largely results from the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas. Dearborn, as you know, is home to one of the largest Arab-American populations in the U.S., and the severe casualties and humanitarian crisis resulting from this conflict have not only captured their attention, but have also spurred many previously politically indifferent individuals into action. That's quite significant. Could you expand on how this engagement is manifesting through the Listen to Michigan movement? Absolutely. The Listen to Michigan movement, spearheaded by Democratic strategist Abbas Alawiye, is essentially an anti-war campaign that's encouraging voters to select uncommitted in the upcoming primary as a form of protest against President Biden's handling of the situation in Gaza. This movement reflects a broader dissatisfaction not just within Arab-American communities, but also among other groups disillusioned by what they see as failing U.S. foreign policy regarding Israel and Palestine. They're targeting at least 10,000 uncommitted votes to send a clear message. And what about the political implications for President Biden? How significant is this movement? It's quite significant, Steve. Remember that Michigan is a key swing state. Any major shift in voter sentiment here can have national implications. Despite receiving strong support from figures like Alawiye and other Democrats back in 2020, there's now noticeable pushback due to perceived inadequate action on Gaza by his administration. This disillusionment could pose substantial risks for Biden's reelection campaign if not addressed appropriately. I see. And it sounds like local leaders are also voicing their concerns. That's right. Figures such as former U.S. Rep. Andy Levin and Dearborn Mayor Abdullah Hamid have both expressed personal concerns over Biden's policies on Gaza and are strategizing politically around these issues. 
there's a palpable desire among local officials and their constituents for a permanent ceasefire and a reassessment of U.S. aid to Israel, reflecting broader concerns over America's role in perpetuating violence through its foreign policy choices. Moving on to voter sentiment, how are people reacting to this uncommitted strategy? Voters like Anam Khan and Huma Shazad view voting uncommitted not just as a moral stance on Palestine, but also as an expression of their dissatisfaction with current U.S. foreign policy more broadly. This indicates underlying issues that go beyond simple domestic policy considerations for many voters, a sign of deep-seated disenchantment that transcends party lines or specific administrations. It sounds like there's a lot at stake here, Ron. Indeed, Steve. What we're seeing in Dearborn reflects broader themes of diaspora politics and voter disenchantment that could influence key electoral demographics ahead of significant elections. It underscores how international conflicts can profoundly impact political engagement within immigrant communities here in the United States. Fascinating insights today. Ron Stevens, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Steve. This year's World Trade Organization meeting is setting the stage for a heated debate. Right, at the heart of it is the long-standing moratorium on e-commerce duties. Since 1998, this policy has allowed digital media like movies, music, and games to cross borders tax-free. But now, it's under the microscope. And it's not just about digital taxes. The biannual gathering will also tackle issues like overfishing subsidies, agricultural reforms, and how to kickstart the WTO's dispute resolution system. With 164 member countries at the table, reaching consensus won't be easy, especially when it comes to whether we should continue exempting digital media from international taxes. To dive deeper into these complex negotiations and what they could mean for global trade, we've got PocketPod News World Affairs correspondent Rose Fletcher on the line. Rose, there are four proposals on the table regarding the e-commerce moratorium. Can you break down what's at stake here? Absolutely, Jonathan. At the heart of the World Trade Organization's discussions is a policy that's been in place since 1998. This policy exempts digital media like films, music and video games from international taxes when they're shipped across borders online. The four proposals currently being considered highlight a deep divide among WTO's 164 member countries. On one side, we have countries pushing for an extension of this moratorium on e-commerce duties, essentially continuing to exempt these digital products from customs duties. On the other side, notably led by South Africa and India, there are proposals arguing against this extension. The crux of their argument is that the current setup deprives governments of potential tax revenue at a time when digital media consumption is only increasing. That's quite the standoff. Now, considering this isn't the first time the WTO has deliberated over the e-commerce moratorium, what's different about this year's debate? What sets this year apart, Jonathan, is the level of scrutiny and urgency surrounding these discussions. In previous years, renewing the moratorium was almost a formality with little opposition. However, as digitally delivered services grow, having surged more than 8% from 2005 to 2022, the stakes have heightened significantly. Developing countries argue that lifting the moratorium could provide them with essential tax revenues to support their burgeoning digital economies and infrastructure needs. And beyond just this debate over e-commerce duties, what other significant issues are on the table at this biannual meeting? Beyond e-commerce duties, Jonathan, there are pressing global trade concerns up for discussion that carry wide-ranging implications for sustainability and economic fairness across nations. These include subsidies that contribute to overfishing, a major environmental concern, 
agricultural market reforms aimed at creating more equitable trade conditions for farmers worldwide and, importantly, efforts to revive WTO's dispute resolution system, which has been somewhat paralysed in recent years. It sounds like there's a lot riding on these negotiations. Shifting back to e-commerce duties, what arguments are industry groups making for extending the moratorium? US industry groups have been particularly vocal about extending it. They argue that new customs duties on digital products would not only hamper consumer access, but also negatively impact US workers across various sectors, since many industries now rely heavily on digital media and services as part of their business models or product offerings. These groups estimate such changes could affect companies employing over 100 million workers globally. With all these considerations in play, from revenue concerns for developing nations to industry lobbying, what might be the broader implications if there were changes made to this decades-long policy? Changes to this policy could signal a significant shift in how international trade rules accommodate evolving digital economies. It might lead us into uncharted territory where governments could start imposing taxes on digital goods much like traditional physical goods, potentially affecting everything from pricing structures to global market access for these services. Jonathan, it's clear whichever direction WTO member countries lean towards will have profound implications not just for global trade dynamics but also for how we navigate an increasingly digitised world economy. Indeed, it seems we're at a critical juncture here. That was PocketPod News World Affairs correspondent Rose Fletcher. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. And that's next in line for Monday, February 26th, 2024. I'm Jonathan Martin. And I'm Steve Onsker. Thank you for listening, Lucius. We hope you have a good day and we will see you tomorrow. This podcast was created by PocketPod entirely with AI. If you'd like to learn more, head over to pocketpod.app.